Elijah to hang in there. It is. Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. Welcome back to another episode of The Smiley Show. I'm Charlie Hume. He is fresh off a red eye from Hawaii, Smiley Kaufman. Uh, Big, big week in in the world of golf. We had a a three-man playoff at the Sony Open, a thrilling duel at the Dubai Invitational between Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood. Um, I've got a little something for the Girl Scouts we'll get to later in the show. Got a little hot tip and or suggestion for them. But I think without further ado... The, the most exciting thing that happened in the world of golf this week uh, is one that I want to play for us uh, right now. So I'm going to do that and uh, get our reaction. Can we call room service at the Kahala and get a Mai Tai out there to Smiley? That would just kind of complete this picture. Uh, I'll, I'll take anything right now. <laughs> As we're being pushed out to sea. Smiley, all those years ago, you probably never thought you'd be in this position with a microphone calling oh, golf. Oh, man. Well, I, Dan, I think this is probably my only highlight reel from the Sony Open. I love this golf course, but I think this is the only time I ever made it on TV was in the water. <laughs> There's a lot of expensive equipment in that canoe. Yeah, Do there not is. tip that canoe over, Smiley. He's still dry at the moment. All right, Smiley, see if you can call this one in the air. Brendan Todd on the tee. Okay, I get the signal. We got a seven iron for Brendan Todd. This wind is really cooking up, getting a little nervous in the kayak. <laughs> no longer a foot soldier. Oh, it's getting hit, in, hit. He's getting hit by the wind, Mark. Oh, you're right. That is a terrible shot. I'm impressed by the, the accuracy of the calls Me of Smiley too. out there. He's got the good. wind down. As he knew that was short and left. And this is all from a kayak. Uh, yeah, now the guys, Nick, Nick Taylor is seeing me. They're all, all the boys are seeing me out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Smiley, I so many questions here. Uh, I, I, I want to start with where that video ended because that's the part that made me laugh the hardest was when those guys saw you, like, what was, what did we not see on camera? Was it, was it, were they laughing? Were they waving? Yeah. Like that whole piece cracks me up. Nick Taylor saw me first and he just pointed at me and just started laughing. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Brendan Todd, and I think Nico Echeverria was also in that group and saw me. So that was, that was kind of like made it, made it really funny because like, I think they realized that I may have called their shots from the canoe or the kayak out in the water, but, uh, it, the whole thing started because on Friday before we went on air, I was sitting there with John Wood and then our producer, uh, Chris McGuire, calling Mags. He came in and uh, we were just kind of talking about uh, the ki- a kayak or just the whole thing from uh, 2016 because he was going to show it on um, on our coverage that day. And I was like, you know, I should go call a shot from the kayak. And he was like, do you want to do it? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we immediately um, started working on trying to find a kayak. And they're like, yeah, whenever your group gets to 17, just kind of swing over there and we'll figure it out. And they end up putting one of those wide lens uh, cameras in there. And Rick Rice is the uh, cameraman that went in our in our boat, and <laughs> which which we didn't see after was us coming in. Uh, we, were tr- we got stuck in shallow water. <laughs> and so we started walking in. And I, I don't, I just have bare feet and there's corals, like really, I mean, some rocks that were definitely an issue, uh, if you stepped on it, cause my feet got a little cut up and I have like plugs just like I'm wearing right now, which you're, 
you really don't like hear a ton what's going around you. You're just depth perception and you're just overall like <laughs> hearing things is just kind of distorted a little bit. And so I make it all the way to the shore and I hear just like, hey, come out. And I turn around and my boy uh, Rick is has, had totally wiped out a little bit behind me and he was cut up a little bit uh, and landed on the coral. Everything, like all the equipment was good. I was going to uh, say, yeah, no, all, no losses of expensive equipment. No, equipment's all fine. But I, I felt bad that I didn't hear anything behind me. Just I just kept kind of walking into shore and <laughs> I left my uh, See canoe. You, Rick. So, so with that being said, said uh we are still not undefeated and and ended up in the water is what i'm getting at so we're there's still work to be done for next year you're, you're not undefeated which which is it is it over two now is it are you are you <laughs> defeated by the two. ocean yeah over two. A, that, yeah but it's such a sweet like that whole scene just to the left of 17 there it's like super shallow water but i mean you could i saw a bunch of uh guys out there fishing probably 150 yards out like that's how shallow the water was so honestly great kayaking I, I think I, I don't know if that's actually great kayaking just sounds like great kayaking because <laughs> that was I think that was how it all began in 16 was first off Jordan and I like to fish but I also was like hey do you want to go out and fish in a kayak and I did forget about in the videos how much we lost of equipment. We lost the fishing poles and we lost sunglasses and we lost my phone for a moment, got my phone back. But then he, his phone was in that plastic bag that floated to the top. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That kayak, man. uh, It it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It was fun that, that we got to do that on a Friday afternoon where honestly there was not a ton going on with the golf. Like it was honestly a pretty slow afternoon. Uh, so to juice up the last 30 minutes was, uh, I think it was fun. I think a lot of people enjoyed it. Oh, it was amazing. It was, I, I think it delighted. I mean, I saw Justin Thomas ch- chiming in on your <laughs> post as well was, was tickled by that. Uh, I, I do think that was a high level of trust that your producers put in both of you and taking that out. Cause anyone who's ever spent time on a kayak knows the, the launch and, and the, the coming back in where we got the docking is that's oh, not yeah. an easy getting in and out of the boat <laughs> with equipment. It, it, it does yeah. the wobble. And like, I would, you know, then you, you start going one way too hard. You try to overcorrect and that's when the flip happens. Yeah. So I'm stunned that nothing bad happened with your equipment. <laughs> I uh, feel bad too, that, uh, Brennan Todd happened to catch a really hard gust. I could feel it out in the water. Cause like right at the beginning, I was like, I'm just going to go with this. There's no way this is getting here because <laughs> I knew how far it was playing and I felt the ghost in, or the, uh, the gust of wind in the water. And so I was, I was just going to go with, Oh, this is, this needs to go. <laughs> you know, it could have flown the green by 30 yards. And I would have no idea, but I just you- felt like I felt pretty confident that it wasn't getting there. And then, oh, my, my man, Mark Rolfing, just let him have it. <laughs> yeah, Mark, Mark was, uh, Mark was very unkind. I was like, oh, this is supposed to be a fun moment, Mark. But, uh, what but a he, terrible shot. It's just like, oh, God. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the call was, I mean, good. I, I think they might, yeah, I, yeah. I think what you set yourself up for is maybe there's going to be increase, uh, a series of increasing, you know, challenges they put you through. Uh, like, uh, I'm trying to think of like, a, like, a the, what was the, the, um, Nickelodeon, the, 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 the show where they did all the, like the legends of the hidden temple. Like we might put you through some sort of a gauntlet to see what, well, what circumstances we this, can put you through while still this, calling a shot accurately. hundred <laughs> percent. Cause we were talked about like, should we do, um, uh, should we call some shots on 17 on Saturday instead of in a kayak? Should we do it? Uh, 
with water skis behind a boat you know like okay. that was an option <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> <That> would, <laughs> can you can you snorkel can you do it underwater yeah. uh we're, yeah we're just building up for my <laughs> i'm gonna put this out in the air it'll never happen but a kayak on 17 at the players sounds like a good time Ooh. <laughs> Can you, can you imagine if you're floating in front of the island green just battling around well, aimlessly the, floating around the I, lake all i hear is just me out in the water like, oh this needs to go oh this is in the water <laughs> and then it said over to 16 and then i gotta paddle over to 16 to see what's going on it's like well it looks like the lie is pretty good <laughs> Uh, listen, the powers that be out there in the PJ Tour, just just think about it. I mean, we're trying to grow the game. I, I, this is a, this is a surefire way to grow the game. Uh, smiling <laughs> in a kayak wherever there are bodies of water. Uh, that was really enjoy that. I had a lot of people reach out. We're like, this was hilarious. So good on you. Way to way to stretch the the uh, the boundaries of broadcasting. Now, as for the golf that actually happened that we were uh, theoretically watching, reporting on uh, a thriller of a finish. Grayson Murray looked like maybe the most unlikely on that first playoff hole, at least definitely off the tee, but even when all three balls were on the green, uh, the least unlikely guy to extend the playoff or, and, yeah. and, you know, or even win the thing outright and, and she made a bomb and then saw Keegan miss again on the left side of that hole. And then just a kind of an inex- inexplicable miss from Ben on from a, on a, on a shorty. But uh, what were, I, I, I think you'd been let go at that point from the broadcast, but did you catch any of it as you were kind yeah, of heading out to this red eye? Mm-hmm. Caught it all. The, uh, I think the week, at the Sony was it was weird because I think the finish was uh, they all three of those dudes ended up at seventeen under. You know we had like torrential rain on Monday mm-hmm. and really Saturday and Sunday like yeah the wind blew like maybe a club but nothing more than that. And Thursday was very tricky with with how hard the wind blew a lot of crosswinds and I could definitely see why like scores weren't super low on Thursday. But still, even then, I, I didn't think the golf course played very difficult uh, for for what I saw. I thought, honestly, I thought 20 under was probably where I thought this thing was going to finish up. So I was a little surprised that it that it only was 17 under um, after being out there all week. But like you said, the finish was interesting. Um, I thought Keegan played really well. Uh, you know, I think that tee shot on 18 was very difficult on Sunday. It was um, those, those trees are really, really stick out like a sore thumb. If you don't have any right to left, um, wind or downwind to be able to help kind of turn the golf ball over. And when it's in off the left there, it's just, it's almost impossible to hit that fairway because it's so difficult to turn over drivers, uh, these days. But yeah, man, uh, I, I really felt like there was probably six or seven dudes that could have won the golf tournament Absolutely. on Sunday, which made it very compelling. Like right from the get go, we had JT Poston's group. Uh, he was playing with Andrew Putnam and Harris English. And I, I started with that group and I was mm-hmm. thinking like, I mean, if these guys behind them don't make birdies, they're going to have a chance to post and, and sit around and wait. And um, I think their group finished out like with 20 birdies of like one bogey and an Eagle. It was, it was, it was some like incredible golf. And um, so JT was a guy I thought could have won. And then, and then Russell Henley, like I, mm-hmm. he was I really felt like it, it slipped right through his fingers because I think he could have posted um, in one outright because he was at 17 under through 15 holes and he'd missed one on 14 and then 16, he three putted from like 20 feet, which was, it was just not a good three putt at all. Mm-hmm. Gets up and out at 17 and uh doesn't birdie 18. So like that's two, two shots there. I mean, he could have been at, 
you know, 19 under that's 16. That was the one where he was kind of on the left side under the trees and hit an amazing shot, amazing shot just to get it up <laughs> to the green. And and at that point, totally agreed. I was like, man, he's got all the momentum. He's yes. going to take this thing. And yeah, the three putt was just like the biggest reversal. I feel like that could have possibly happened oh, to him there. It was, yeah, just a total dagger, but it makes a good up and out at 17. And I felt like if he birdied 18, he would have made a playoff and turned out to be the case. Um, so that one's got a sting for Russ, but I saw a lot of really good stuff from him. Um, and then Carl Ewing had a good week, and then I dropped back to – who did I drop back to? On the Carl Ewing thing briefly, because obviously the the thing that kind of blew up on oh, the internet yeah, was we, the whole – we can talk about the, that. The whole TIO situation. Listen, this I haven't is, seen the video. It's not great. Uh, I mean – <laughs> I heard it is, all. And this is where I think your perspective is really valuable from someone who is now, you know, now broadcasting someone who's been a player and dealt with this sort of setup. And, and then, you know, I think maybe a little bit feeling for rules officials who are having to kind of make these calls in real time. But, you know, this is from no laying up uh, that uh, and, they, and they use the uh, the virtual certainty line that was being used in terms of, you know, this is this is why we're giving him a drop because we are virtually certain that his golf ball is somewhere in this tent. But we can't find it, but we're virtually certain. And so uh, no laying up said virtually certain the U.N. drop is going to cost J.T. Poston. Uh, thirty nine thousand four hundred twenty four hundred twenty five dollars. Russell Henley thirty three thousand two hundred dollars, and Taylor Grillo and Pavone ten thousand and twenty eight dollars. So that's an extra hundred two thousand dollars, hundred two thousand for UN on a ball that was not bound. So I'm just curious from your standpoint because it's yeah. not like it's like it's not like it's Carl UN's fault. It's like you know I can walk you through it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you hit it there. You take the relief, you keep playing. I, I, you know, how would you feel if you're one of those guys to lose money? And how, how do you even fix it if you're the tour? Like, I don't know what the, no, if there's a good it, solve here. It, this happens more often than you like than you think, really, because mm-hmm. we have grandstands and, and sometimes like huge hospitality areas that are considered uh, TIOs, temporary immovable obstructions, and. And sometimes if you if you blast your golf ball into this area and we we know it's in there and you don't find it, it's fine. It's it, mm-hmm. it is fine. But in this situation, it's very different because out of bounds is that like right around the corner. And most often when we when these rulings are made, when you hit it into these uh, fairly big general areas uh, with hospitality um you know, I, I think of like right of nine at Sawgrass. We had an instance last year where we didn't find the golf ball, but we knew it was in there and mm-hmm. there was no out of bounds around. So it's easy for the rules officials to say, don't worry about it. We don't have to find it. We know it's in here. And you take a drop uh, nearest point um, right outside of the hospitality area. But in this situation, you know, if that golf ball, let's say this morning, you, you get a tweet from somebody that says, hey, Carl, you and uh, just found your Titleist two in the backyard of my house. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it was out of bounds. Like that's worst case scenario for the rules officials, because all we were because based on what I've heard, the video evidence wasn't necessarily like you couldn't say with a hundred percent this is where the ball ended up. So the video. You can see the ball, and this is where it gets tough, right? It's a white golf ball. It's a white tent, and it looks like it's heading just straight for, like, the last few feet of the top of that tent. And then, you know, again, it's not like you're shooting in some ridiculous resolution, like you're you're getting frame, 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 and then it's gone. And so 
you know, I don't know how these tents were constructed or, you know, if there are gaps there that I can't see, but it, it looks like there's a good chance that this thing just misses the tent altogether and, and goes behind it somewhere where, you you know, as they said on the broadcast, there, there's yeah. out of bounds over there. So, I, you know, I don't know how they determined with virtual certainty that this golf ball was in this tent, but that is the explanation they gave. And they said they consulted people in the tent, which again, I don't, which is like, I don't know how reliable hey, that is. This is <laughs> I mean, that hospitality tent was putting down the Mai Tais. I, I walked past it. I, I could, uh, I could see the fun being had. So we're not going to hold them accountable because, uh from what i saw the umbrella drinks were out and about yes well and, and so do you in your mind is there any good solve for this you know i i, I get that there is you know it, it you're taking a golf course the way it's set up and you're putting a bunch of stuff on it, it makes it play differently so naturally you have to do something to, to give players relief you know i think that some would suggest hey just make it really hard you got the, the obstructions the obstructions your pros you know, don't hit it over there if you don't want to hit it over there. Because I, I think the thing that it brings in a play a little bit, which I think is fair, is that I'm, I'm not saying, Carl, you want – in this situation, of course he's trying to hit the green and make a number and put this thing out of reach and win the tournament. But we've also seen at certain courses and certain setups that there maybe is like, a, hey, there's a hazard on the left – and you just blow it out there, right? If you hit it in the tent, great. You get a drop right in front of it. You're fine. You know, where it's almost, I don't want to say it's intentional, but it's close to it. <laughs> so is, is there a way, is there a way in your mind to kind of fix this? So you don't have situations like this happen again there's, in the future. There's nothing you can do. You know, the PGA tour players are always a fan of grandstands because they're just bumpers, you know, it's just <laughs> bumpers for us. And I always wouldn't, you know, if there was ever a question, if I, especially if it was a forced carry over water, and there's grandstands behind the green every day sending it, you know, just, but you know, there's, it's, it's tough because, you know, you want to enhance the fan experience for people on site. So what do you do? You you get the hospitality suites Mm -hmm. as close as you can to the green. So they have a great vantage point, but what does that also do it for the people watching at home? When you see balls end up right next to the green or they hit the grandstand and end up in a spot where you know that they are at an advantage because of, Really, like if they would have ended up where they were supposed to end up, they probably wouldn't have got up and down. But where they got to drop, you're like, okay, that's definitely um, not the truest form of golf. So I see both sides of it. But if there's anything I know about the game of golf right now, we're just we're just trying to make the fans have the best experience. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I yes, I, I gather your sarcasm there. Take the point. Yeah, uh, but I mean, honestly, on on a bit of a serious note in relation to those grandstands, it's like, dude. Later in the show, we're going to discuss you know some some quotes from the Sony Open tournament director about the way not only this tournament but others are getting squeezed financially going forward, and what's part of the way that you justify sponsor expenses? You put these corporate hospitality tents <laughs> out there. So if, if the ask is like, oh hey, let's let's get rid of all those you know so that we don't have this issue you know the, the response is well dude now we're really in a financial crunch because that's yeah. how we're getting the thing paid for so we can get money back in the players pockets so it's you know it's it's a really tough one but it, but it's also you know i it's kind of to your point like i don't know how you change it um yeah. I, I a couple on the in, in the playoff and kind of coming down the stretch just kind of going back to keegan is man this and he even said it in his comments after like how tough this one was because there are two things that stand out to me as moments for him one was uh, on the drivable par four 
10th where he and Grayson both hit it in that, that, that greenside bunker short, right. Mm-hmm. And he, he hits first and kind of leaves it. He hit, hits a good bunker shot, but he leaves himself. I think it was like a five or six footer. Grayson knocks it to like less than a foot. So he's got to tap in birdie and Keegan just barely misses that putt that if he birdies it, that's the shot that makes the difference. Right. Um, and then the second was of course in the playoff after hitting a perfect drive there, pulling a five wood into the grandstand and having to take relief and kind of leaving that chip short. And I just wonder what you make of just the week that he had. And you know, he said it himself, he regrets it, but just, you know, what he, he maybe will look back on, reflect on, try to get better at. No, I think it was a, a fantastic week for Keeks. I mean, I think definitely the, maybe just ran out of gas there in mm. the last hour or so. Um, I thought he stepped up to the plate when he had to, um, you know, it's not easy on Sundays to, to go deep knowing that you are pretty separated from the field. They had a three shot lead on everybody. So there, it was, it felt like it was just a competition in that, that final group, which sometimes can, can stall out because you kind of watch what the other guy's doing. And, and if nobody's getting it going, it's sometimes very difficult to, to remember that there's a bunch of other people chasing you down too. So yeah, good week for Keegs. I, I expect a lot of great stuff from him this year. And then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just touch on Grayson because I, I got to follow him a little bit this week and uh, spoke a little bit with him as well. Shot him a text last night and he just seems like he's in a such such a better place than, than he was. And um, I, I've seen Grayson in, you know, when back when he was shoot, this been six, seven years ago, um, he's always been insanely talented, insanely talented. And this goes back all the way to junior golf. But he's had he's had hurdles. There's no doubt about it. His journey's been up and down. Um, he's had injuries. He's he's struggled with a lot of different parts of, and aspects of his life. That uh, since he's finally uh, seems to have kind of gotten in the right direction. He's gotten engaged, and his golf is. I mean, it looked really good. Um, mm. He's he's got this sweet flight with his driver that's like low, but he smashes it. And I was thinking to myself, I need to figure out how to do that. <laughs> I need to hit it lower and smash it because it looked so sweet. Um, he was hitting I so many it. fairways. Uh, he And by the way, another another win for the LAB putter. I don't know if you saw that. Well, I, I, I did see that. In fact, I got a little uh, note in my inbox about 30 minutes ago with uh, the specs on his putter and advertising. <laughs> oh, and it's that it's that one. And, and it's funny, too, because the next place I was going to go was a, a good win for for the for the lab putters, but also a tough scene for the lab broomstick and, and been on. And I hate that for him that mm. he's been playing so good. You know, last year finishes 44th in the FedEx cup gets in all the signature events this year, then, then has that the suspension for taking the over the counter of cough oh, yeah. medicine, it, but comes back from that playing great and, and playing great all week long too. That. Yeah. And, 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 and makes this charge to the end. But then, you know, of course the, the lasting image that people have in their head is, is that miss putt, you know, that would have at least extended that playoff. And I what just a, wonder, you know, what do you think the odds were on that green of of, missing that putt? No, just of, of of leaving that green with oh. with Grayson Murray being the champion, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, it, it was so funny, and, and I think Dan Hicks said it on the broadcast, and he and he was crediting you of just talking about how you'd seen that pin placement confuse so many players throughout the week, and and I, I think it was coming down the stretch. There were just all those guys missing on the left side. You know, Keegan missed 
left twice, you know, in regulation in the playoff. The hole saw- is sitting this way, but you knew the putt goes right. It's a very, very easy to, to overread the putt. And every different angle I'd look at it, it would look like it would be going a different way. So, it, yeah, I, I don't for any, if there was ever a four footer where you completely miss the hole like Ben on did. Totally. It's, it's literally on this green because it. It's so confusing. You stand on the back of the green and you see how it's pitched. Like you think it's sloping away to the back right corner. And then you go to the front of the green. You're like, wait, it's sloping to the front left corner. This is just a very, very weird green. Very weird. (laughs) So not surprised. I, I, from Keegan's angle, I was like, okay, I think I have this thing read. I've seen like five guys miss it. Like I, I, I think I know how to put it from that angle. But from Ben's angle, I was like, I'm, I'm still not sure what it does going because this is more of like a downhill putt, right? From that angle, um, uh, or, yeah. His, his was. Uh, I think he thought it was going to move a little to the left based on the way that hole yeah. was lean. But there's, <laughs> there's so much movement in that green that I, I don't know if he Crazy. pushed it or just played it outside the hole and and hit it firm. But didn't it didn't necessarily look like he hit it. Like the stroke looked fine. I think he yeah. just probably started out too far right. Just a tough one to read. Um, but yeah, the odds <laughs> on that had to have been uh, minuscule, to say the least. Um, a couple other ones that I wanted to hit. Um, I, I just, I'm just keeping tabs on Will's Alatoris with each one of these starts. And, and I think that it's interesting that obviously misses the cut at five over, but it, it, similar to the hero making progress even in that day-to-day deal, especially on the putting. Like he opened up with that first round 76 and the putting stats were, you know, really, really bad. He he lost, you know, more than four strokes to the field. It was 143rd in the field, but was in the positive for the second round, even though, you know, he shot, shot 69, still missed yeah. the cut, but still got better there, you know, got better off the tee, got better around the green. Um, the only one that I was looking at, you know, and again, these are very small one round sample sizes, but he regressed, you know, he, he was in a positive for approach day one and then was in the negative in day two. Um, and, and just knowing that that's been his bread and butter, he's been such a good iron player for his entire career. Just looking at that, I was like, I wonder if, the, if there's any, that's just an aberration or something to look at there. Um, but, you know, to me, you know, in trying to extract positives and, and you know, hoping that he kind of gets back to where he was, to me, it's looking like, okay, you know, even if the numbers early on are bad and you look, look at the whole week numbers and they look bad, if you look at the story on a day-to-day basis of progress, that to me tells a somewhat positive story. And I wonder if you, how you feel about the way Will played in those two rounds this week. You know, I didn't get to watch him play a ton, but my opinion on Will right now is that first off, he needs reps. Um, I think he's mm. definitely dealing with some rust. And I think uh, besides reps, you know, I think the golf swing changes he's made, because we've talked about the putter and the broomstick changes as being kind of the big, um, thing that Will's been focused on, but I really do think all of the changes he's made to his golf swing are just totally. aren't clicking yet because for him to be this off uh, ball striking, you know, he's been a guy that hasn't missed the center of the face at, since he turned pro and had no issues controlling his golf ball. Now struggling a little bit with control of the ball. So with Will, I mean, I, there's been some serious motor pattern changes that he's had to make and that just doesn't, that just doesn't change overnight. You know what I mean? Um, I think totally. anybody that's been through injuries or had surgeries and have to have to change the way you swing a golf club that you haven't ever had to fix, you know, like you're having to fix this because of your injuries for longevity, you know, maybe it's not going to be quite as efficient 
as it used to be. Um, and that yeah. might be the reality, but I have a hard time believing um, that he's still not going to be a, an elite ball striker. Just, uh, I'm just, just continue to give him time. Right. Mm-hmm. I, but I think what's kind of wild though, to me is like how somebody like Will Zalatoris is not going to be in at Pebble in that first signature mm-hmm. event. You know, that that's kind of, to me, the, if, if you're somebody like Will, who probably had a massive offer to live golf, I just you have to think that you're just second guessing just the PGA Tour mm. and 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 like man, should I have just taken the money? I, I don't know. People are just like, uh, no, look, <laughs> he's got more pride than that. <laughs> I'm I'm just laying it out there in the fact that he he had a, a, I imagine a fairly big offer and and mm-hmm. to not to come back and not be getting a sponsor's invite into Pebble Beach. I mean. Shoot, wouldn't you be kind of like pissed off at the PGA Tour? It's like, hey, I, I bet on you guys. You know, like I I got hurt. I was hoping that I'd be able yeah. to get a spot. And the spots so far from what I've read is going to be Adam Scott, Webb Simpson, um, Peter Malnati, and uh, somebody else. Um, would, it, would, it, would it be uh, Charlie Hoffman maybe? Potentially, no, I don't sure. think it's yeah. Charlie. Oh, it's Maverick McNeely. He's an AT and T guy. Oh yeah, yeah, Yoke, that's right. And and his dad's a West Coast guy as well. Yeah, and um, we're not here to debate sponsors invites. I'm sure right. there's reasons why they all got picked. <laughs> totally. But yeah. but I I I would have probably started with Minwoo and Will Zalatoris. That would have been my first 100. two that I would give spots to. <laughs> well, and I, th- I think that is the the reality that a lot of these tournaments are facing that are now signature events. If you have four sponsors exemptions now, I mean th- that's a huge crush going from like you know eight or more to four i mean that makes a huge huge difference and i think that um this field used to be crap yes yes (laughs) it used to be crap can you imagine being the tournament director there going from the fields that he's had to now having to turn away will zalatoris i I was talking to someone who uh who's his wife is playing the tournament and uh, as as an amateur and he was riding on behalf of, of a popular tour pro to the tournament organizer is a friend of his. And he was saying, dude, we, we are just, we can't help out anybody this year. Like these things are pretty much locked up already. And, and it's, it's, so it's, it's just, these are the times we live in, you know, it's, it's just, this is what has to be done. The ironic thing though, is, is exactly your point, which is that why do we make these changes to keep guys from going to live? Well, if one of the the stars on tour that kind of hit tough times is Will Zalatoris and he's expecting the tour to help him out for his loyalty and they're not doing that, well, then you're yeah, kind of missing the whole point hard, of the yeah. of the deal. Um, it's always I, I, been a you got to play good, you know, like you got to you got to totally. play good and and injuries in in the past system, right? Like you know, medicals to be able to get into whatever tournament you want to get into. It didn't really there wasn't these elevated events, you know, there was WGC Mm -hmm. stuff, but uh, based off official world golf ranking, like I think top 50 used to get you into WGCs, which I'm, I assume that he probably is slotted in that 30 to 50 range. So he would be getting into all these events. So it's just really just kind of, he's just in a tough spot. He's going to have to dig his way out of it a little bit. Well, the, the AT&T, not to go too far of tangent, but the AT&T is also, when this was earmarked as a signature event, I think a lot of people were like, but why? Because this could be one where you do kind of give some handouts to guys that, you know, really want to be there to mingle with the sponsors and, and you know, all, all the people that help make the, the tour run from a financial perspective. And so that's why it is important for all the guys you listed who are on the policy board, who are helping, you know, shape the future of the tour 
be able to have some time to rub elbows with those people and chat about, you know, business, you know, but now that it's a signature event, it's like, how are you able to check all the boxes? I'm not sure that you can, um, on, on will specifically a couple things there that you said that I thought were really interesting. And so I think one is, I, I don't think we're giving will enough credit for like, the fact that he is kind of fighting a battle on two fronts, like overhauling a swing and overhauling a putting stroke. So, you know, I, I think that there are going to be, there's going to yeah. be some bad tape he puts out there and it's going to be tough. And and it's like, let's not give up on him. He's got to kind of figure both out at the same time, but when he does, you know, it should click. And, 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 you know, there are some, some positives to take away from the hero and, and, and now, you know, Sony where you could see how, he, you know, he'll get back to it. Um, I think that, as, as far as like the live thing goes, it's such an interesting one because it's like you look at Brooks Kepka as the reference point there where he his knee is like in his estimation, like maybe we'll never be the same way ever again. And he's got this offer on the table and he takes the money and it feels like that was the safe thing to do for him financially at that point in time. But then you get down the road and he's you know, in the final group of the Masters and then he wins a PGA championship and you're hearing all these sort of rumors and rumblings of like, Maybe Brooks is regretting his decision. And if he knew he was going to get back to this you know, form, would he have left? I don't know. Um, it, it, but it's an interesting one. And I don't know if that's this, a similar calculus that Will Zalatoris did in his own head. Um, you know, but but I, I think that that's kind of the bet you're placing. It's like you're either like, I'm going to get back to form and this is where I want to be if I'm in form. Or it's like, hey, you know, I'm never going to be the same. Let me get my money and we'll figure out the rest of it, you know whenever that whenever that comes around so uh definitely definitely interesting one with him one to keep an eye on as he kind of progresses and and shoot the last thing on that is like maybe he wants some time like maybe he wants some time kind of playing lower spotlight events so he can kind of figure this thing out so he's ready to contend when when the time comes to play you know marquee events um yeah for sure uh, another one I wanted to play for us uh, while we're here uh, is Gary Woodland, uh, another guy who was making a return uh, from brain surgery, of course. Shoots 71 71, misses the cut in his return, but like such an amazing story. Had some incredibly reflective sound, you know, to start the week. And then he talked to, to Todd Lewis on Friday after he um, missed the cut. And I just want to play this interview because I thought it was uh, it was pretty cool just to hear where his head's at you said you wanted to come out here and the thing that you wanted to test most was your focus how would you assess how your focus was this week focus was amazing mm. it's the best focus i've had in a year um best energy i've had in a year on a golf course obviously you never want to miss a cut you never want to be out of contention but it was bigger for me than this week than golf um golf game was rusty i saw a lot of good things but i was rusty scoring wise but the goal coming this week was to see where I was mentally, and it was beautiful. It really was. It was, it was the best week that I've had on a golf course in a long, long time. Um, focus was there all week. Attitude was great. Energy was great. So a lot to build on. I came to see where I was, and I'm in a good spot, and uh, I think big things are ahead. As you look back on these two days and look at everything that was involved, what do you take away? That no matter how hard things are and no matter how bad it gets, if you believe, if you surround yourself with the right people, you can overcome. Um, it's a message that I'll remind my kids when I get home. Um, I, it's been a hard time for me, and and I was able to overcome it, and, uh, and I'll be back. You talked earlier this week when we chatted, actually, about the love and support you received prior to getting here to the Sony Open. What have you received on the grounds here from your PGA Tour family? It's, it's been unbelievable. Um, 
like I said, we're out here competing against each other every week, and it's it's been like a family. Um, a lot of hugs, um, a lot of just well wishes, um, support from from everyone, and it's been it's been amazing. It it just shows you that there's a lot of good people out here, and uh, the fans were amazing. Tournament staff, everyone, the media, you guys have been a great. Um, it's uh, it's great to be back. I see you getting emotional. What are you processing? There was a time when I didn't know if this was going to be possible, and uh, it was a good week for me from a mental standpoint. I need to be mentally sharp to be, to get to where I want to be in the world, and um, it's coming back. Hmm. What's your schedule? I'm going to go home. Um, have a nice off week with the kids at home and, and tighten up some things with the golf court or the golf game, uh, and I'll be back for Tory. Yeah. You're a great player and a better person. We're glad to have you out here, Gary. Next time. So obviously, you know, incredible, incredibly emotional, powerful stuff, you know, especially just hearing him talk about his kids as, as dads, you know, it's like, man, there's just a whole other layer to this. Uh, did you, were you able to catch up with Gary while you were out there this week or, or uh, you know, just thoughts on, on just his return to the game and, and what a cool and meaningful thing that is? Yeah, great, great interview by Todd there. I mean, I, I really think you kind of got him to answer really all the different questions that I think the viewer wanted to know about Gary. But um, I think one of the things he talked about, just the PGA Tour family and just getting back and being around all your, you know, call them colleagues, but competitors, players that you've, you know, mm -hmm. spent all this time around and uh, you've had a lot of great memories with. And I think getting back to, to all the guys and, I think was something that is probably was really cool for him to get back and, and, and realize how, how many players have been not only just thinking about him, but had also seen that video uh, of him in his interview prior in the beginning of the week, where I think it just shed a lot of light on what, what Gary was really going through. I think nobody knew how, like what, what were the issues? And I didn't know that his, the, the tumor that he had on his brain mm -hmm. was pushing on fear and anxiety that he just thought that every day, like it's like final destination, something was mm -hmm. going to go wrong and he was going to die. I can't imagine um, living that way and, and having to sleep and, and the jolting that he was dealing with waking up in the middle of the night and just being just fearful of everything. And then trying to play golf on the PGA tour at the same time. I mean, you talk about fight or flight on the golf course and how, um, you know, how often that gets triggered for PGA tour players. People don't realize that, uh, for the most part, you're, you're not in a, in a normal state, like we are on the driving range and how we're playing at home. You know, you get in situations where you, your brain gets into this fight or flight mode. And here's a guy that is already dealing with this at home, um, sleeping at nights. So I can't imagine all, all of, how difficult it was on him and his family during that time to not open up about it and just try to fight through it because that's, that's hard enough as it is to, to try to play really good golf, you know, to, especially at the, at the level that Gary Woodland we know can play at, you know, he didn't win his U S open win was so soon ago, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't that, that long ago. So he's had that expectations of playing really solid golf. So I imagine it was very difficult, but, um, I didn't get to see Gary this week. I saw him about a month ago and, and got to say hello to him, um, you know, sending my wishes, but definitely good to see him back playing again and um, hoping that and praying that all the reports continue to come back good from his doctors and that he can continue to play uh, 
where he feels stress-free and that his um, mind and body are all um, organized and, and work in the right way. So I'm hoping, hoping that for Gary. Yeah, absolutely agreed. I think, um, man, yeah, just the, uh, it, it is a thinking game. It's a game that it requires, you know, it's not a reactive game. We've heard a lot of tour pros talk about, you know, how that, you know, presents different challenges. So like that layer on top of where he already was with that tumor, I, I can't, I can't imagine it. And it was just, just really, really cool you know, uh, to, to, to see him back out there this week, mm -hmm. but also to hear the way he's been processing it and, and what that's the meaning that's given to, to him and his family, really special thing. So, um, Hey, we have our first Aeon swing five update. That's a cool thing. Uh, we have, we learn, learn all this new terminology and, and systems. I, this is actually an interesting one. Cause there's already a controversy because Grayson Murray is, at the top of the, the swing five standings, but he's already in the rest of the signature events for the year through his win. But they still keep they still keep you at the top of the standings because I guess it's a higher category than tournament winner. I, I am not sure. But he, nevertheless, here are the standings. Uh, Grayson Murray leads. He's in first. Carl Yuan in second. Matthew Pavone in, in third, Taylor Pendrith in fourth, and both Akshay Batia and Patton Kazire are tied in Let's fifth. Let's go, Patton. Come on, yeah. Patton. Of course, uh, that, uh, Jason Duffner is 2017 Zero Classic partner, uh, as, as we know well from uh, Kevin Kisner's story last week. So there are your current swing five. Uh, and then, of course, uh, after uh, the Amex and... I believe farmers as well, that those three tournaments are going to determine the five that get into the AT&T program, the first signature event mm -hmm. uh, yep. from that swing five. So there you have it. Well, moving over from there to the Dubai Invitational, where uh, I guess for a lot of people, all these Hawaiian events have been things that have been happening later in the day after bedtime. This is something that kind of went on before we all woke up. Uh, was was a, a really dramatic finish between two stars, uh, Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood trading blows, and Tommy Fleetwood coming out on top. Uh, it, it was I, I caught just the highlights of this. I didn't see it, but it, it was a, a wild finish of sorts. Like Rory was, I believe, in the leader, tied for the lead on the 14th hole, a par three, and hit hit one to like two feet, and then three putts from two feet. Like misses one going downhill, leaves himself more than he had on the initial putt, and then misses that one coming back, drops a shot. And then I believe was leading on the 17th hole. Tommy Fleetwood birdied the 17th and 18th. Rory on 18 snap hooks his drive into the water and can only make a bogey and drops a shot and finishes uh, tied in second with Tristan Lawrence. But, um, you know, a lot of intrigue over there going on. Um, it, it seemed... Uh, to, you know what to make of this obviously there's a tommy fleetwood part of it and there is the rory mcelroy part of it right and so just starting with tommy where it, it seemed like a pretty friendly environment to play in like rory was actively rooting for tommy you know even if it meant he was losing the tournament first three days were it was a pro-am so that part of it was obviously a little more laid back but you know knowing that this was was uh tommy fleetwood's first win since the the, the ned bank uh, in 2022 and there was a near miss last year at the rbc canadian open um you know what do you think this does for him going into next year do you think we could see tommy lad get his first pga tour win in 2024 yeah, right. I mean, to me, his his ball striking has always been, you know, cream of the crop. He has always been able to hit the ball very well. Um, just a, I mean, exactly what you would teach. You know, like he just gets mm -hmm. into all the right positions and um, hits the ball fantastic. And really, I thought he should have been closer to pushing Brian Harmon at the Open 
I thought he I thought he hit it really well that week and the mm. putter was just so bad. Putted horrendous. And you know, I think for 2024 for for Tommy, you know, he had that year, maybe this is like 18 or 19 where he finished second in a couple major championships. I remember it, I think Shinny finished second at a US mm. US Open there, maybe another event um close to finishing second. I have to go back and check that, but yeah, I mean He's knocked on the door before. He's got major types type of game to where there's really no weaknesses, and it's more just like, hey, was was maybe the Ryder Cup gonna be kind of the thing that jump starts, kind of the second act for Tommy Fleetwood? And I say second act, but you know what I mean. Just right, right. The the him starting to compete more at major championships on the regular. Um, and we've seen it a time or two before at Ryder Cups, guys get in positions and they, um, they close out like for him, he closed out the Ryder Cup against Ricky Fowler. You know, I, I'm, I'm very, uh, I, yeah, I'm with you. I think, I think he's going to have a, should win on the PGA tour and, and would not surprise me to see him pick off a major, but <clears throat> uh, mentioning Rory, I, I think there's, you gotta be excited kind of if you're Rory, mm-hmm. you know, like I think he on Friday, he made a quadruple bogey on a par three, like the seventh hole hit two, mm-hmm. two shots in the water. So he makes a quad and he three putts the 17th hole from three feet and, and still only loses by however many shots. I mean, so you got to feel good about Rory coming out of the off season, um, just a little bit of rust, but also like tons of offense. So, and he, him mentioning how much he's going to be playing heading into Augusta. Uh, I, I would be surprised if we continue to hear Rory like be in the media and talking. I think he's going to really start shutting it down and just keep it really simple and and lock in really for Augusta because he even said it himself. You know, Augusta National, if I don't get a win there, I think he's going to feel a lot of regret uh, just about not getting the job done. So I think every year now leading up into Augusta is going to be just I'm all in. Which makes a ton of sense. And I think, you know, for the optics of it, you know, even though it was a limited field event, um, you know, and it was sort of a you know, one that was a little more casual for all the reasons listed, you know, you still, when there's a near miss like that, you know, you ask the question of like, what does this mean for a season? Is this a, is this a sign of something bad? Whereas he seemed very relaxed about it in his comments after the round. I'm yeah. like, look, first term of the year, kind of knocking the rust <laughs> off. Like it is what it is. Like not like it was, I was dying. I mean, of course you want to it's win nice every to, term you play. It's nice but, to yeah. knock the rust off and, and, and only, you know, finish second place. Right. <laughs> that's, right that's right. Well, that's a crazy thing. It's like, you know, the expectation for him is like win and anything else is a disappointment, which is, which is nuts. But yeah, a little, little, little rust knocking off there for a casualty to never, never a bad sign. I mean, when you played golf last week in Florida over the last couple of weeks, would you call that knocking the rust off or would you call that uh, knocking the rust off and lowering your handicap or just knocking the rust off and just trying to finish? <laughs> I, I What I've been trying to do is kind of keep enough rust on so that every time I go out subsequently, I can say that I'm still knocking the rust off. And I think mentally uh, that well, helps me. It, well it, mentally it helps me. Yeah, because I, I don't want to knock all the rust off because if once the rust is off, then I, I can't use that as an excuse. Uh, so there, there was a lot of rust knocked off. I think I knocked most of it off, but I still have a little bit of rust saved. Um, I will say that the handicap did not go down. It went up two tenths of a point. So perfect. Could not have scripted it any better. Um, look, looking very good as we head into kind of tournament season this year. You know, maybe some things we're going to be doing on the course. So, you know, love where it's at. Love where it's at right now. 
so uh, <laughs> don't know how to segue out of that, but I'll try. Uh, I, I, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, you know how like golfers always have like the best excuses. You said just like, oh, you don't want to wear all the rust off because you need that as an excuse. Same thing goes for like, ah, you know, I, I honestly getting there late is the best thing ever to a tee time. It's like, so you know, good. I didn't have time to hit balls first four holes. You're just like, ah, you know, I'm just so tight, you know, like, ah, you know, if I would have just hitting balls today, you know, <laughs> but you knew going into the day, you didn't have a chance regardless. He's like, might as well just show up a little late beat you know go through the full workout at home still be you know loose and ready to go but also you can play the card of you know i'm just a little tight you know just to get eight balls it's a little tight like you know and 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 that's also a great natural uh handicap management strategy you know you Mm -hmm. just throw a couple bad holes out there out of the gate and then if you play well the rest of the time guess what your handicap's still not going to go down because you got all the you put all your work in early on the show and go used to terrify me the show and go is my best friend now especially with you know young kids at home the show and go yeah you never heard of this expression no you show and you go like you're, oh, you're I, there. It makes sense now. I, I should have probably just time. sounded that out of my head before <laughs> saying it out loud. Makes makes sense. Say it out loud, all of a sudden it clicks. Yeah, you're, you listen. You're knocking a little bit of rust off and, and getting the phrases, so that's okay. Uh, Dude, I slept an hour last night. Give me a break. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You were heavily jet lagged. I'm uh, drinking coffee at 4:30 just to not like like fall my head on the on the table here. I'm gonna pull back the curtain a little bit here. Did you do you microwave that coffee? I thought I heard a microwave going yes. in the background. Yeah, oh, like wow. the, the pot of coffee was was pretty cold, Ooh. so I just stuck stuck it in there. There's something about microwave coffee that just I'd rather just drink it cold. I'd rather just take a I would take a pot of coffee and I'd throw some ice cubes in it and I'd pour it over the ice and have iced coffee at that rate. Yeah, no, that was definitely an option that I considered, but um, yeah, just not this time. I tell you, I'll tell you a tangent. I'll really take you on, uh, especially after last week's amazing. Kevin Kisner, Phil Mickelson story. I tried out some of those little, uh, this is, this is, I don't know why I'm saying this because this is just free promotion, but I'm try. I tried out one of those, those little packets of like the stuff he puts in his coffee. Pretty oh, good. Phil's, Phil's deal. <laughs> the good stuff. It's is called it the good, good stuff. It's like the it coffee good? for wellness thing. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Okay. I felt, I get, I get jittery sometimes. When I drink too much coffee, but I do it every day. Anyway, this kind of took, eh, kind of took the edge off. So, Okay. There you have it. All right. Charlie, <laughs> Charlie's gone full live, folks. I'm kind of going full live. And there's the segue. Thank you, Smiley, for, for teeing us up in that direction because we have live news to get to. Some of this has been out for a few days, but some of this is, is, is just out. So, of course, there's like the main piece uh, of John Rahm's team name has reportedly been finalized, uh, Legion 8. So I, I don't know if he's doing this as a bit like, you know, because – we spent all summer talking about how often do you think about the Roman Empire, and now his team name is, I guess, a Roman Empire thing. So we're going to think about him a lot, I guess it's the case. What do we think of Legion 8 as a team name, Smiley? <sighs> so many other good options, right? Like, what were some of the ones that were floated around that people liked? It was like, I wanted Los Toros, dude. Los Toros, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. Your little bowl logo. You know, you yeah, what a fun... mess. That's a mess. What is because like Legion? Here's here's an easy rule for naming a team. Do I have to Google it? Yes. Okay. Don't name it that. 
Like it's like it's be like what is what Scrubs is Legion GC? Eight? I can't Scrubs stop thinking GC. about Scrubs GC. You know what it is, and and it's <laughs> lovable. It's like, do you ever watch the? Uh, do you ever watch that Disney movie when you were growing up, Soul Skaters? No. Wow, really? Okay, we're gonna have to do a whole other. Yeah, yeah there Fran was, there probably was, did. Fran probably did. I was I was a Nickelodeon guy. Well, okay, I did a little bit of both, but uh, yeah, there, it was a good movie about like rollerblading. There was like a team called Pup and so- I don't know why I'm explaining this. You haven't seen the movie. It doesn't you don't matter. need to. You don't uh, need to. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 live to to extend the the live news. Most recent news is there are reports from all of our favorite uh, live accounts on Twitter, um, which I won't credit. You know what they are, uh, but they are um, th- there are reports that. Wyndham Clark ongoing negotiations with, with live golf, um, you know, not a hundred percent confirmed yet, but moving closer to a deal, you know, take that for what it's worth. We heard this about Tony fee. Now we've heard this about some other names that, you know, ultimately committed to staying on the PGA tour. So that's, that is the report there right now, but there are also reports that, uh, Caleb Surratt, uh, the extremely talented university of Tennessee player is another guy who could fill out that team with Rom. And then uh, Kieran Vincent, Scott Vincent's brother, who uh, was one of the three players that won that live promotions deal, that that would be his Legion 8 team. So what what are your thoughts on that? So you're telling me that Rom is going to have two guys that like qualified onto onto this team? No, it would just be Kieran Vincent would be the qualifier. I thought they were going to have like the other guy too, um, whoever it was. Oh, no, that was our ongoing cliques bit, which, by the way, he actually did sign for the cliques. Kaye oh, Samuja, the, the, okay. the Finnish player, he is he is a clique. Okay. Cliques are, I'm a little worried about the cliques. The cliques are still about the cliques. cheeks. <laughs> the cliques are, they're, they're, unless they, they land a, a big uh, fourth player, uh, which I'm not sure who wants to go play for that team unless they get a max contract. Uh, cliques are looking a little light on firepower heading into this next season. And again, who's going to win a championship first? The cliques, the Cowboys. Well, oh, Cowboys man. are going to—they lost their shot. I know that was That's a bloodbath. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, I think that I mean, shoot, you know, I'm curious what your thoughts are about. Like, Wyndham Clark would be a huge loss without a doubt. Um, I think that you know the. If you're looking at it from a PJ Tour perspective, like anytime you're losing young, you know, super talented stars in the making, like I don't care how you you want to cut it up or, or try to sell it to me, like you know, or how marketable they are now or could be, like that's a loss. And so both those guys really, like we don't know what the future looks like for Caleb Surratt, but we know that Wyndham Clark is one of the most talented players in the game and a major champion. So you definitely would not want to see him walk out that door. No, hundred uh, percent not, but. I mean, if you're Wyndham, I mean, you just bought yourself five five years of majors, right? Yep. I mean, that's I think that's the whole. I think that's the argument for. I think that was the argument for Cam. I think that's that's the argument for for Rom. I think that is you know you know after the fact an argument that Brooks Kepka can use for you know staying. Now that I mean, and and I think it's the same for Wyndham. Like anyone anyone that wins a major, we should be on high alert for now. Because it just means they bought themselves exemptions that, that it is the thing they care about the most. It's, it's just sad, man. It, it just every time I see it, it just like the PGA Tour. Have they been perfect? Absolutely not. But th- it didn't matter who it was. They nobody's got a chance against the Saudis, man. Like you just don't have a chance. I don't care if if you if you believe the live product is better than the PGA Tour product. It just it just doesn't matter because. 
it, even if live becomes better, they didn't become better because it's just a like a better product or because mm-hmm. the team golf works. It's just it's just money, dude. Like <laughs> I, you Play think John Rom went for this concept? No, dude, he went for the money. Like we got to get we got to get on the page that John Rom made this move. I mean, it was it was a financial decision. I mean, maybe you can argue that. No, I, I just everything I know about John Rom. This is this was all about money, and then I think anybody else that's gone too, it's about money. It's not about growing the game. It's just <laughs> this is right. absolutely separating and dividing the game more so than you could have ever done. Um, now, if they if they want to use money to grow the game, I, it's, sure, okay. Like I I don't think I don't know how you're going to do it, but it's still just to me is I don't know. It's just. all of it's just annoying um great they they made financial decisions for their families and they set up their families after that but the game of golf um in the professional level like we continue to talk about is just in full turmoil yeah and i think i mean it it is funny how rory has kind of been the bellwether on this entire thing throughout like i i am certain that if you you know got rory in a private room and, and you got him to speak honestly to you he'd say yeah i probably wouldn't have said a lot of the things that i said at numerous junctures but the benefit that that we had as onlookers uh you know had in hearing all that is like he he kind of he kind of charted a lot of people's mental journeys they took with this thing where we were all very opposed to it from the beginning and then you know for a number of different reasons and then as time went on you kind of moved to a more realistic place on this where it's like this is just kind of what it's going to be and we got to figure out a way to to make it work so we can get all the the best players back in the world together and i think it's he most a recent- global tour did you see like the comments on yeah. a, a more global tour and, and we've talked about it on the podcast too and he and he and he cited said you know a global tour would, is where we, what we need to do but we need we need america's corporate money behind it all i'm like that's not how this works <laughs> you know? yeah. like it's because of where they're going to be playing globally it just doesn't make sense from a from a tv standpoint like it also i mean just it's so much simpler here in the states when when a corporation sponsors an event they're able to bring in clients they bring in all their employees it's 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 simpler like traveling all the way to singapore like what (laughs) it's it's i i don't know how you i mean it it is an interesting thing like it's one of those things where i think rory's throwing a lot of travel balloons out there and kind of like seeing which of them hold water and and by the way i don't necessarily blame him for it because that's a lot of like what i feel like i've been doing in my own processing of what's going on and what's happening and and not all of it sticks but I, i i think that you know if you know, if if it's going to be an American centric league, um, then you're going to have European players that are interested in going because or, or not even European, you know, Australian players or whoever else like that are interested in going because of what that represents for them in terms of opportunity of playing in front of their home crowds or closer to wherever home is for them. So it, it's one of those things where it's like you're almost, you know, that's why a lot of this stuff, it's like I have critiques of players of governing bodies of decision makers but it's but i also and in the same breath am understanding of the plight that each of those various you know people or entities face it's it a lot of these are real damned if you damned if you situations you know because like to kind of to your point it's like if you you know the thing that makes most sense 
from a TV perspective, from a sponsor perspective, from a charity perspective is like focusing on the thing here at home in the United States. But that means guys walk and, and you know, and for bigger sums of money, it's like, ah, I don't know how you reconcile that. And you really got to get creative to do it. And it still might not all come together. You know, it's, it's a tough, tough thing. Yeah. Um, and the only thing keeping this whole thing together is, is the official world golf ranking structure for the way of guys not getting points like that. That's really the one thing that's keeping it together because guys can't get into major championships, but some guys say, you know what? I don't care. I don't care about the majors. I don't care about, um, I don't care about my legacy and how well I play in majors. I just, I want to get paid and that's fine. That's, that's your prerogative then good. Um, I just, I can't imagine being a young player and let's use Caleb Sarai as an example. Um, a player like his caliber, dude, I, I mean, I put him in the same category as Gordon Sargent, and Nick Dunlap, mm-hmm. and you can interchange any three of those dudes. I think they can all beat up on each other. One can be better than the other um, from one day to the next. And I think Caleb's going to be a superstar. Um, but what happens if Caleb never gets to play in a major championship? I, I mean, that's, that's kind of a far-fetched statement, but <laughs> if he goes to live, I mean, eventually it's all going to, you would think, they would get some form of world ranking points at, at some point, right? Because to me, the way this is heading, like they have to figure out a way to to properly rank these tours because right now it's just, I mean, God, yeah, it's it's just a mess. So well, we'll have to what we'll, what we'll keep monitoring it. Well, I mean, I, I and I I I wonder what those the, that profile player, what bill of goods he's been sold because like I think of like Eugenio Shakara, like he was a stud in college and, and, and a guy that looked like he had a, a really bright career trajectory. And since he's gone over, you know, I, I'm sure he's, he's doing, you know, fine enough over at live. We haven't heard anything from him in, in major championships or anything. And so it's like, how do you, you know, ballpark what your trajectory, you know, could be or when it's all going to come back together. And were there promises made on the front end of these guys of like, Hey, it's, you know, like is, is, is part of the math that Caleb doing saying, well, like this thing could come back together pretty soon. That's looking like what's going to happen. I am a, an incredibly talented amateur player, but I'm, you know, nothing's guaranteed in golf. So it doesn't make sense for me to get some chunk of guaranteed money and go do that for a year, knowing that it's all going to come back together. And then I'll have the same potential to play in majors and earn money here, but with a, a nice little, you know, uh, baseline in my bank account that I got. I, I don't know, but it, it, it's interesting. I, I think on the OWGR point, uh, this is, I found this pretty interesting. I saw this uh, Jeff, Jeff Shackelford put this in his quadrilateral newsletter is a front office sports piece um, talking about uh, the impending departure of both Martin slumbers who heads up the RNA and Keith Pelly, who's vacating that lead role at the DP world tour. Uh, one I think to pay attention there is that they're both going to also vacate their seats on the OWGR board. And yes, their their successors could very well just kind of take the same position that they have on that board in terms of how, you know, ranking points get distributed. But like, what if they don't like what if that's an opening for change? Like, I think that there are like more, that whole I'm, I'm not saying, you know, what happened there with their departures wasn't, you know, I'm sure that, that you know, Pelly has a great opportunity with the, the Maple Leaf sports deal and, and he's Canadian. So that one makes sense. I'm not sure what slumber is going on, too. But, dude, those are two of the key decision makers for European golf. And with, with those guys gone, what does that, you know, sort of signal in terms of 
you know, that piece of the deal, because uh, people kind of forget that initial announcement was like, this is a deal between the PGA tour, the PIF and the DP world tour. Like, I Mm -hmm. don't know what that means for that domino. No, a hundred percent. I don't, it's hard to really know who's going to fill the seats and what their position is going to be. And where my head goes in all of this and how it pertains to live and, and world ranking points. So it, it's not the top players that I'm, and it's not the top players that I want to talk about. It's the guys that are the middle players that maybe bet on themselves, but then either got hurt or didn't play well enough and now don't have a spot. This is, this is an argument you can make about live. It's like, okay, I think the perception is, is that all of these guys have it on easy street. Mm-hmm. There's going to there's going to be a handful of players that aren't going to have anywhere to play mm-hmm. besides the Asian tour. And we're talking about guys that have won on the PGA tour. I mean, if the name that comes to mind, like if Hudson Swafford doesn't get on a team this year, like he's a guy that's won multiple times. He's never lost his card. He's an absolute unreal golfer. Now, if he doesn't have a spot, he's been on the Asian tour that you're starting. To, and I'm listen. I'm not trying to say that that Liv has a legitimate relegation system, but you actually are starting to see that these t- these spots are getting tighter because they're taking on more and more guys. That you know what I mean, Charlie. That it's it kind of gets where these players are now starting to get shuffled out, where they don't have anywhere to go, and that's Dude. the risk they took. But man, what a what a risk you're taking if you only bet on yourself for a year or two. I, that would scare me to death, you know, if yeah. I was one of those guys. And, and and I guess the only way I would do it is if I said whatever the number is, however small it is, whatever it is, what that represents to me is enough financial security that if this doesn't work out, I can just walk yeah. away or I can just go into the next phase of my life. Because I, and I don't, some I, guys, I, I, some guys, some guys didn't even take money. They just bet on themselves, which is another thing that's wild to me. Like, and I think that. I feel like I recall seeing Hudson Swafford with like a young family at one of these tournaments. He played well in doing an interview. And I just wonder, it's like you heard so many of these guys out of the gate talking about, you know, I want to do live so I can play less and have time to spend with family. It's like, and, and could you ever imagine a world in which you're like, Hey, uh, in order to put food on the table for us or to continue our lifestyle in the way that it, like I have to spend X amount of weeks a year traveling around Asia playing in Singapore and all these different places. And like, I guess I'll just see you when I see you. Like that to me feels like a pretty brutal reality that I don't know that I'd be willing to say the potential upside is worth the potential downside. Now I'm, I'm doing a lot of, you know, thinking and talking on behalf of a Hudson Swafford or someone else that they may not feel that way, or they may have another contingency plan, but just me personally, that was the scenario laid out for me. I'd be like, geez, man, like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm ready to make that big of a leap of faith. Yeah, like I, I had heard that someone like uh, Honor Bon Lahiri, he just he, he said, "All right, I have a spot on the team. Perfect, great. That's all I need. Really? I'm gonna bet on myself." That is and that is surprising. Get, and he is totally. I mean, he's played just as good as anybody over there. Right. Um. He's good bet. He's yeah, good bet. Yeah. Um. So for for some guys, you know, it it makes sense. Uh, you know. Someone like Honorban, you know, he's from India. He moved to Dubai, so it's probably easier for him to to play that tour versus playing the the tour in America. So there is some for for some guys, it, it does make sense to play a more global tour to be closer to home. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The examples you picked are, are you know, it's they're perfect. They're perfectly kind of opposed where it's like, you know, for me, and it goes back to where we kind of started this discussion. It's like Anurban Lahiri, if he's lived a more international lifestyle and has connections in, you know, in, in Europe and beyond Asia, that one maybe even feel more comfortable than living here for him. I, I don't know, but it could, you know, whereas like Hudson being, being that far away from home, playing that tour and, and maybe not being able to make it long term, that is a completely Brutal. different thing. So that, that I think is a good illustration of why it's like, you know, the, 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 the global tour aspect of it, is one that to a lot of guys makes a ton of sense and and probably is even more comfortable. And like, that's just, you know, that's a a chip that Liv has right now. Um, And and someone like Hudson, like he can't go in because he's still suspended. Other two is that I I know I, I think and, and that's the thing where we're really kind of getting into the 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 weeds of like the mechanics of how you get back on tour because I know that there are some guys yeah. that are actively trying to re-enter through you know different you know methods or but I, I I think that you know obviously there's some suspension piece of it and then you know you can you know Monday qualifier go to Q score I mean I, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what level like you know I, I don't know if your status gets wiped out entirely or if you can. At once suspension served, you know, re-enter at a higher level than like if I just decided one day I wanted to play the PGA yeah, Tour, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, uh, well, we we know the top guys are are gonna have the the flexibility to to not ever really get kicked off out of the league, but that's the the most intriguing part of that league to me are the guys that are making these bets on themselves that totally either it doesn't go the way it should and they end up not on a team and have no place to play. And I think that's intriguing to me, but those are really things you don't really know all the information because you don't know what they signed for. So it's not as cool to, to, you know, cause that's yeah. the one thing about falling off on the PJ tour. It's easy to see when somebody succeeds or fails based off of a, a pretty easy to follow uh, for the most part, for pretty easy to follow point structure with that <laughs> cup stuff yeah. and knowing what Super the numbers easy. are and what you got to get to yeah, swing five. So it's easier to <laughs> much easier to, to follow on that. But um, kind of got off on a little tangent there, but that, that just to me, like comes into my head about just the whole live golf and the world ranking points and someone like John Rom, you know, wants to grow the game. Like, sure, man. Like, but he's the most competitive dude that I know. Like you can't tell me that this guy's okay with having somebody coming off the promotions, uh, list or whatever where he can't pick his entire team like that's just, that's not right he's the most competitive guy i know like i can't imagine it, how difficult it is for him to not make all the decisions that lead to him feeling like he has the best chance to finish first and when he's when you sign that dotted line it's like hey you know you're you're gonna have this guy on your team um because uh, we told you so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and good and good uh, luck trying to figure that. I mean, I I can't even. And I think it's probably the mechanics of what he's the reports he's getting from live on the status of guys they're courting and trying to sign. And like, you know, if there's, if there, you know, what level of frustration he's expressing with like deals, not getting over the line. Like, really? Like you weren't willing to give like a Tony fee now, 15 million extra dollars. Like, no, I want him on my team. Let's please no, make that happen. That's, <laughs> that's the thing I've, I've found out in all this is that 
yes, like a player can recruit another player, but they can't help negotiate the contract. It's all like they decide what the number is. They can't like if Bubba Watson recruited me to come play for the, I don't know what team he is, but Uh, uh, for whatever his team is, excuse me, the range goats, of course, how could I forget (laughs) (laughs) if he wanted me to go play for the range goats, um, then it would be like, okay, you got to reach out to X like the, and they're the people that do the contracts. That's yeah. from what I understand. Well, two, two quick ones that are, that are somewhat related to that. Um, Keith Pelly played in the Dubai Invitational this last week and spoke to James Corgan of the Telegraph. And as part of a larger discussion noted that um, Jay Monahan and Yasser Al-Rumayan were supposed to meet before Christmas, but were unable to, but they did have their first conversation on the phone since the June 6th agreement. And made substantial progress, which is, uh, huh, interesting. Uh, like I said, I mean, it, it, I think the golf world would be better if the PIF were a minority investor along with that, the SSG group, you know, that, that to me probably gives you the, the best chance to potentially get all of these parties back together because they have a seat at the table and I've been a little wondering, it's like, are, is the PGA Tour kind of trying not to do PIF? Like, are they trying to kind of avoid it? And to me, that just keeps it divided. And they're going to keep poaching players. I I don't see how you don't don't make the deal because, like, if, if you're not following what's happening, it's not going to get better. Like, none of this is going to get better. They're going to get world world ranking points at some point. It's just, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to change something about the system and if you want the live golf tour to be the the number one tour in the world then then keep going the way you're going because that's where we're potentially heading and it's going to be a structure that nobody likes uh also in the field the dubai invitational jimmy dunn wonder if he had any other meetings while he was abroad there huh <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I'll move it on to listen. This is we 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 officially entered the the business slash uh, financial section of this podcast, which is I know our favorite thing in the world to talk about always. But I saw I saw this this story um, featuring some quotes from the Sony Open's tournament director Ray Stosik. I think his last name is. I'm not sure if I'm saying that properly, but uh, kind of a downer where he was just talking about this Friends of Hawaii charities. Um, you know, that, that had donated 24 million over the past 24 years. And they're looking at the ask that the tour is making the next couple of years. So, you know, there are multiple tiers, but like they, they'd be asking for $250,000 from this tournament uh, next year and then $500,000 the following year. And so, you know, he says here, and I'll read you some quotes from him. I think the initial response from a number of the tournaments was concern. And how do we do this? My hope and prayer is that the relationship between Friends of Hawaii Charities and the PGA Tour can come to an agreement how, as the revenue models shift, that we can work closely together to try to. The last thing we want to have happen is that the charity suffers because of some new financial restrictions related to the tournament. If all the charitable giving in the future rests on the host organizations without some PGA Tour subsidies in certain areas to help assist us with charity, then yeah, it could definitely have an impact on charities. And I don't know that we need to go in depth on that, but that just kind of like we talk about all this money. We talk about, you know, these new PGA Tour enterprises and all this stuff. And it's like you got these people who like kind of pour their their you know heart and soul into trying to like impact their community in any way that they can through the charitable aspect of the PGA Tour. And it feels like that's going to get steamrolled so we can kick a few extra million bucks to players. And I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, man, you mean you both. I just... 
it just it just kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit you know just the system used to be pretty good you know we used to give a lot of money to charity that's going to stop you know it's going to dwindle down a ton you know i think the you're starting to see it with some of our our biggest partners leaving you know mm-hmm. wells fargo being i think one of the mainstays of, of as far as sponsors go on the pga tour and, a, and really a, a fantastic venue one that i think they were banking on them being around for a long time so i mean we're just kind of in this money bubble right now and it's really just the golf inflation of what players think the golf is what they're Mm -hmm. worth the the worth is just they think they're worth way more than what they actually are um and maybe some of the top guys you can argue yes you are potentially worth this much but maybe not saudi money type type of worth this much um it's we're just in a in a a really bad place right now because all guys are doing is just you know you, you have some some success and then you just say you know what just like any other business, they just say, you know, we're going to go sell. We're going to go make a profit. And this happens every day in, in the world. And and I don't know why we're getting upset about it because this happens all the time. People try to, to build their businesses up to then make a profit. Um, so I, it, you, you understand it that, hey, they're, they're making the best decision for them. But man, it's just I, I just we were in a pretty good place back in the day where, you know, we had plenty of players make millions and millions and millions of dollars and they were still flying on private jets they were still you know very very well off you know that's the thing i think as a uh as a player now it's like man where, where does this stop right it's right just, it's tough well and i think it's 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 kind of for me it, it's almost like do do some players think they're worth more than they are? Like yes, but really, it's like yes. it, it's yes. it's but it, it, in effect, it's the Saudis telling them how much that they're worth. It's like PIF money telling them how much they're worth. It's it's an artificial yeah. it's an artificial market influence that you know, and, and you don't know how long it's going to last. But what we've found out pretty quickly is that the PGA tour is currently constituted cannot outlast it. Like, I think that was the hope initially is like, they're going to spend some money on this early on. They're going to get bored with it. They're, they're not going to make any money on TV. In fact, they're going to underwrite huge losses and they're going to say, ah, this didn't happen the way we wanted it to. And then, and then we'll be back to normal. And that is not happening. Um, and so it, it's, and, and so it's like, it's tough too, because it's like, you know, you hear Rory talking about, I get why John Rahm did what he did for his family and shoot. If I was in that position and I was offered that money, I'd probably, you know, take it too. But it, it is just like, yeah. it just, it, then you read this other side on the, on the charitable aspect and how that's going to get squeezed. And you mm-hmm. think about the people yeah. that actually impacts on a day-to-day basis. And it, it it's, it's another layer, but it's like, man, like I wish, <laughs> I wish it could be like, you know, anyone who got a big live deal gets to have a player hosted tournament. That's like, all oh, you know, they're taking, 10% off the top of what they got and they're donating that to these charities and propping them up. And I, I don't know how it actually looks, but it, it, that's the thing where I'm just I like, know. just doesn't feel yeah. very good. But anyway, they need some, they need some wins, man. And uh, I think Pebble beach could be a, a big win. That's going to be a, a if they have good weather. It could be an, an amazing event, but uh, yeah, I mean, Phoenix, I mean, it's, it's really this part of the schedule that starts getting really fun. You know, some really fun events coming up to watch for the PGA tour. I think like, like always, I think there's going to be, great storylines and and uh and and fun fun events where you're gonna have some some sweet drama but you know what i guess one thing i'll leave you with on all this is like if the pga tour 
let's say a year from now, I don't know what Brooks Kepka's deals up. Let's say it's up at the end of the year. He says, Hey, I want to come back. How does that work? I mean, I think there, there's a, if I'm Jay Monahan, I have a list of guys who, if they want to come back, I'm like, <laughs> yes, you can come back. Like, you know, like, like <laughs> may, maybe there's some agreed upon fine. Maybe that fine goes directly to a charity of their choosing or something, but they're coming back. Like, I'm not going to make Cam Smith go back to Q school, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Like that would be the first win for the BJ tour. It's like, Hey, we stole our player back. You yeah. Know? Like don't that, make it hard for them to me, come back. Yeah. Make it easy. Yeah. You know? That that to me would be like, because all, all live does right now is just play chess and, and get wins. They don't really ever lose it except when their ratings get exposed. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think it's uh it, it's, it's a fair one. And, and you, mentioned, Do you think more people watch it this year. Uh, I, I, I don't, it's, it's tough to say because I think that, as currently constituted, like if it's same TV contract, same distribution model, no, I don't. It's like, like, do we really think John Rom is going to get more eyeballs on like the CW? <laughs> Which, right, what, what if it was on Fox? Like, let's just, I'm just yes, spitballing then yes, here. Then yes, uh, you would, you would watch it if it was I, on Fox. I think, I think the win of getting a guy like John Rom or or more, you know, like I don't think John Rom alone is going to get people to like the current, you know, media distribution channels, like it's like not going to get you to CW or, or to lives YouTube or whatever. But if John Rom starts getting like, you know, we already heard Callaway may some, you know, in some way, shape or form sponsor or support John Rom's team. That's a huge one. That's a, that's a huge, you know, golf OEM that's legitimizing what, you know, Rom's doing. And so if, if that is a signal to media companies that like, Hey, it's, it's cool to spend money here. Then you know it, it, and maybe it wouldn't be like a Fox level. But what if there's like a, 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 a broadcaster that's a step up in terms of audience or you know distribution platforms than the CW is, and they get that you know broadcaster? Then you start getting more and more eyeballs on it. Like I think it's it's hard to it's really hard to get people to a new product like in, in you know any form of content. But if you go to places where there are more eyeballs, you know, and, and, and like sports specific eyeballs, like I think that's the tough part about the CW It's like there's not a ton of sports specific eyeballs there. But if you go to a place where there are and you put it there and frequent watch times, then you start getting people to watch it. And so, you know, I don't like Rom alone doesn't doesn't do that but like rom starts legitimizing it for sponsors and broadcasters who might say yeah actually i, I you made us a proposal on a contract last time around we passed on it maybe we let let's have that conversation again you know that would be interesting yeah i i just was curious um because i as as it stands now, we are talking about the CW. I, I I'm not looking to try to find what channel CW is. So if it was easier to find, maybe um, yeah, but tune in. Many uh, many are not. Out, but. So <laughs> um, I will say, you know, to Pebble there. I think is it time to start teasing the fact that we're going to be at Pebble doing some cool stuff at Pebble. Should we let the people? Well, know? I got to book my flights, so I got to book my flights. But yes, you can start teasing. I also have to book my flights. So that makes two of us. So we're teasing <laughs> the fact that we are going to book flights soon. So you gotta look out for that. <laughs> and look, there's just one I want to leave you with. Um, that's just really been kind of eating at me for a while. And it's Girl Scouts. Love the Girl Scouts. Love the Girl Scout cookies. I think the timing of Girl Scout cookies is really, really bad because it happens the same way every year. It's like turn of the calendar, 
everyone's got a new diet they're working on, a new workout plan they're working on. And then here comes a little Sally up my driveway mid-January, right? I'm starting to get in a rhythm with everything. And she wants to sell me some trefoils and some of the peanut butter patties. And and look, I'm who am I to say no to that? Like I support the troops, all right? I buy mm-hmm. at least eight mm-hmm. to ten boxes every single year of those Girl Scout cookies. But I just think the timing, I think you got a lot of people who probably do like the one box mm-hmm. guilt buy. I'm just like, oh, you know, I can't not buy this you know, this box Girl Scout cookies, so I'll just buy one, but I'm not actually going to eat these or I don't want to buy a ton. What if you moved Girl Scout cookie season back a few months into like that Halloween Thanksgiving sweet spot? Because what are people doing around the holidays? They're, 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 you know, eating lots of sweets and lots of food, putting cookies on the table. I think Girl Scouts could exponentially increase the amount of cookie boxes they'd sell if they did it during the holiday season. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I have a better idea than that. First off, I, I don't buy Girl Scout cookies. I don't. What? That's not my thing. But, but if I did, um, or if I was to organize Girl Scout cookie sales, I would just put up a little stand um, right outside of your golf course at 4.30 on a Saturday in, or Friday in the summer. And guess what? Charlie's going by and he's buying some lemonade and he's getting some girl, girl scout cookies. <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, I, I just really, <laughs> really anytime other than when I've just like purged my, my cabinet of like all my bad foods. And I'm like, here I am ready to rock. And then it's like, well, yeah. Okay. And, and then, and then it's one of those things where you got to wait for a few weeks and they and like, you know, you get back in a rhythm and then they arrive and you're like, Oh, like, I guess I'm just going to eat a half box of Girl Scout cookies tonight because they're there and I'm looking at them. Um, but anyway, I just I, I had a scout come yesterday to my door. Great timing, by the way. Like I had literally just parked the car back from Florida like 30 minutes ago. And she she has sold a lot of boxes of me in years prior. So maybe she was like, I got to move. I got to move fast. I got to make she's sure you're number one. She's yeah. the number one. Scout. She's like, I, Charlie's the number one buyer. Like, <laughs> I can't turn it down. <laughs> uh, just think about it. All the Girl Scouts out there that I'm sure are listening to this podcast. Um, that's all. That's all we got for this week, I believe. Uh, wh- what do we want to tease coming up next? Um, nothing to tease. Um, just really just teasing the Amex kind of used to be just a whatever field this year. It's like a legit field. So very excited to kind of like sneaky get an open field event that has signature event players, like a lot of them. So that's going to be fun to watch. Absolutely. JT making his first start in the season, trying to stay in that top 30 to get to stay in signature Scotty events. Playing. Yeah. Scotty playing. Definitely good Bunch one. Dudes. So. Should be fun. Should be a good watch. Uh, so thank you for watching and or listening to the pod. And uh, we will catch up with you back here very soon. The Smiley Show is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast.